Welcome to the Disconnection Podcast. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and I'll be your host for today's show. During this episode at Disconnection, we'll be speaking to Erica Tate. Uh, so Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. really appreciate you taking the time to come out to the studio. Why don't you share with our audience what you do? Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so my name is Erica Tate. I am 25 years old. Um, I am currently a therapist at Endeavor House North, which is a rehab for co-occurring uh, population, which is um, adults with mental illness and addiction, basically at the same time. So it's very interesting work. I wow. love it. Yeah. Uh, do you think that uh, you were influenced to become who you are today by something in your childhood? I mean, let's let's go back to little Erica, you know. <laughs> um, where did you find in yourself as a, as a child, you know, a passion? So I was such a passionate kid when I was young, like very young, you know. Like I loved life. I used to dance around. I was just the happiest I mean, we all are, I guess, when we're, we're little. And um, I think that then life got hard, you know, <laughs> and and stuff changes. And um, I think definitely the difficulties I went through as a child influenced me to become who I am today. Um, I think it's through challenges that, you know, we grow truly and and yeah i would say my parents influenced me to become who i am and maybe and not always in the best way you know a lot of times um parents teach us the things that we don't want to do exactly and um <laughs> so yeah so i think i so i had a very um abusive childhood i would say um my mom uh diagnosed with borderline mm -hmm. personality disorder she was she was very abusive physically, mentally, emotionally, and um, that was difficult. And a lot of DCPMP, which is DIFUS involvement in my life, always coming, um, investigating bruises or um, black eyes that we'd come to school with and stuff. And, and the school was the one that initiated those investigations? Yeah, usually. And you know... I want, you know why I want to be a, wanted to be a social worker? I wanted to be a social worker since I was 10 years old. And you know why? Because social workers would come to our house and they would interview us while my mom was standing in the kitchen listening. So what kid who's already afraid of their life is going to tell the truth about what's going on at home when, when DIFUS caseworkers are asking questions when, you know, right in front of her? So... That's when I decided I wanted to be a social worker and I wanted to save all the kids um, from their <laughs> evil parents because I knew, I knew um, what was behind these masks we wore. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. The pretending of the parents sometimes that everything's okay in the house. I mean, even with my parents, my parents fight a lot. Um, and one of my best friends, uh, who is a mutual friend of ours, uh, his parents got divorced when I was really young. And so my parents, although they are loving and they love each other, they're still together, they always fight. Uh, I mean, I've now, being older, uh, placed myself in between their arguments, but the arguments are, are about nothing but just being a kid and being around those arguments and hearing them like 
throughout the house, no matter where I went, I couldn't hide from their yelling. It placed me in a state of fear uh, where I, I felt like my world was going to crumble at any moment. Um, it's hard for uh, a kid to come forward, especially in front of someone that they feel threatened by, to say like, hey, this is what happened. 100%. I was deathly afraid to come home every single day of my life. You know, I was, I would stay at the park until it got dark out because I just didn't want to go home every single day. School was like my savior because I finally, you know, kids don't want to go to school. And that was like, I can't wait because I don't have to be home, you know, so. Probably part of the reason why I too was, you know, not wanting to go home yeah. or staying out late, wanting to be around friends where I didn't have to deal with the the situations back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I have an older brother and he would pick on me. He just wanted my attention, wanted to play. But from my perspective, it was bullying. I, I felt that I couldn't watch TV because my brother was hanging over my shoulder, like poking me, picking on me, just annoying me in general. But you take that to the extreme as a child and uh, it's a misunderstanding of, you know, not being able to verbalize what you want or how you want something to be different. And the child <coughs> ends up screaming and crying because they're just upset and they're overwhelmed by their emotion. Uh, so you becoming a social worker is really fantastic. Reaching or trying to reach those who you feel are in pain and provide them with an opportunity. Like if you were in the same scenario and you went to go see little you, would you be like, hey, like, mom, why don't you step outside? Exactly. And that was the whole point. That's exactly why I wanted to do this work. Because like I knew better, you know, and I would take the physical abuse any day. It's the emotional and the verbal that really hits you, especially as a kid when you're so vulnerable. You know, you don't have any defenses yet. And they're trying to understand the world and for you to just be told that you're nothing, that you're a piece of shit every single day, you know? It's like all you hear is you believe it, you know? And you come up believing these things about yourself and it's distorted core values, core beliefs, you know? And, yeah. Have you, since you are obviously older and Mm -hmm. you're a functional person in society, what did you do growing up to try and find some sort of uh, acceptance with who you were or an acceptance with um, yourself in society that you're not a piece of shit and that you do, uh, you are worth something? I use drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I had no coping skills. That was my thing. Drugs made me feel good. They gave me the confidence. I became a drug addict. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly it. Yeah, because I had no coping skills. You know, I started, I got a little bit older and it became worse and worse. Everything you become more, you get more anxious. You, your self-esteem is absolutely nothing. You know, you, you hate yourself. You don't feel comfortable in your own skin anymore. So um, you look outside of yourself. And the only thing that provided me any form of comfort of um was drugs. Did you experiment with uh, like m- different types of drugs or was there a drug that provided you with all of the coping that you needed? Um, I think it started with experimenting with everything. I was a little bit of everything. And then um, opiates, they got me. And I became one of those, those that have fallen um, to this opiate epidemic 
you know, and um, yeah, and it was a lack of connection, you know, we all, I think a lot, this entire, actually, I think the whole epidemic is a lot about lack of connection um, to ourselves, to the ones around us, authentic connection, you know, this heroin epidemic, um, heroin provides us with oxytocin, it basically fuels our body with the hormone of oxytocin, which I think is missing in a lot of us as children because of the lack of connection with our parents, with um, the earth, with um, the universe, with our, truly with ourselves and like love, lack of self-love. And um, that's definitely what initiated my um, addiction. Is... Uh oxytocin what is released by our brains when we hug each other exactly yeah it's, it's when you feel connected, connected with another person exactly i can't say i've ever uh jumped into opioids but mm-hmm. i i definitely ran to drugs too you know it does provide that coping and i want to blame the opioid epidemic on the pharmaceutical companies which do play a part in the mass production and you know availability of the drug but I think also a part of it is a lack of education of being able to tell kids, like, listen, there's something in your brain that makes you feel good. This drug makes you feel good, too. But you can find it other ways because this drug will kill you. Mm-hmm. It will ruin your life and it will destroy you. But I think we've all had that education. Did and we? I think dare? It's a dare? Yeah. But D- I know. But it, we, still, we had the education. It just didn't work. Dare told us that when you smoke marijuana, you're going to do heroin. I don't think that everyone who smoked marijuana, which is a mass population in America, in the world, has done heroin. Like, marijuana is not a gateway drug. Mm -hmm. The gateway towards, in my belief, towards more drugs and wanting to experiment with a hardcore drug is there's something missing in that person's life. It's not the drug itself. Like, oh, I smoked a cigarette. Oh, I smoke marijuana. Now I'm going to shoot heroin. Like, (laughs) there's a... It's a symptom. Addiction is a symptom of something much deeper. Uh, yeah, something missing. Mm-hmm. So w- some could say. Some could say, yes. Yeah. Uh, so at what point did you leave this house, this, uh, you know, horrible house of horrors? I don't even know what I'm to still call living it. there today. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, and I think that's a huge part of my story. And I think that's why I am where I'm at today is because you have to learn. How. I was forced into learning how to deal, you know? So um, I got hooked on opiates and um, for a few years. And it was really bad. Addiction got me and um, my life spiraled downward as addiction stories go. So I was going to leave for the Peace Corps after college and um, that was kind of my escape, in a way, from my addiction. I was like, thank God, I'm going to leave for the Peace Corps. I, I, that'll stop, I'll just be forced to stop using drug, drugs, you know? And um, so a couple weeks before I left, my plane was supposed to leave. Um, I got clean, so I wasn't, like, withdrawing on the airplane or whatever. And I started going on a lot of hikes. And I started doing um, a lot of outdoor activities, trying to get my body, mind, and spirit back to some place of sanity so that I could actually embark on this two-and-a-half-year adventure. And um, <laughs> Adventure. 
and uh, that's when I fell off a cliff. <laughs> that was when it happened. Yeah, I was I was um, I was hiking, trying to prepare myself mentally, and I got on. I was at the Palisades Cliffs. Which is cliffs around our area here in New Jersey, outside of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to always climb up this waterfall. And I used to like sit on the edge of a rock and meditate on there sometimes. And, and this time, I decided to climb down. I didn't realize there was a difference between climbing up rocks and climbing down them. And so... I was standing at the edge, and I just started started making my way down. I wasn't even a foot off of the top, from the top of the cliff, and um, I got stuck. There was nowhere for me to go. Like, the I knew the rock below me was covered in wet moss, so it, I knew it was so it was slippery. And if I was doing that, I was putting my life at risk. And I had. So I stayed there for like 15 minutes and I started shaking because I didn't, I I was losing my strength and um, I took a leap of faith, like literally and figuratively. And I remember bringing my foot down to that rock with the moss on it, feeling it slip and um, then I blacked out. I fell 60 feet. To wow. the bottom, rock bottom, yeah, with boulders there, and um, I was unconscious for about an hour. Um, miraculously, my cell phone didn't break, um, and I guess I was filled with so much adrenaline from what just happened that I was able to like reach behind me and grab my phone. I called nine one one, and. I was so concussed that I didn't know my name or who I was or where I was or anything. And um, uh, I told them, help, I'm dying. I don't know where I am. I think I fell. And that's all I could say. And it took them seven hours to find me. Whoa. Yeah. um, I had a broken spinal cord, pelvis, uh, arms. My ribs broke. And they punctured my lungs, so I was suffocating, which was the worst of it, you know, because that was what really almost killed me. I mean, obviously, I landed in the most, in the perfect position where I didn't, wasn't paralyzed or just died on the spot. I don't know how that happened. That was a miracle in and of itself. But to be suffocating for seven hours was, was um, really hard, and um, I was bleeding from the head and. Um, yeah, and in those seven hours, I I was in and out, but when I was when I when I did gain awareness, at first it was overwhelming and me paying attention to the pain, mm-hmm. but at some point it was more just like okay, like I'm ready, like you were forced to say okay to dying. You know, you have to look up. I remember this tree in the sky and just being like, okay, like surrendering and being like, okay, take me, ready. And I was filled with the most peaceful, euphoric, I, I can't explain to you what it was, but 
um, it filled me. And um, and then uh, next thing I remember is this firefighter who was uh, off duty. He wasn't even working that day. He was just listening in on the call, and no one was finding me, and they had helicopters looking and all that stuff. And um, he just had a gut feeling. He knew where I was, and he came and did the whole hike and found me at the bottom, saved my life. How far was the the hike? No, oh, just a couple miles, but. But he just had a feeling just that had a you feeling. were out there. Yeah, even though the the signals on my phone were saying I was in New York, like on the um. The other side. The other side of the river. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Fucking technology. <laughs> right. <Holy laughs> Do you think that peacefulness that you were experiencing when you were surrendering? And saying like this is it I'm I'm gonna die right here do you think that you have tried since then to recreate the peacefulness or is it more of a peacefulness that you've looked to for strength and been like well you know I'm going through a hard time right now but there's strength that I have within me that I can do it I think it's something that exists I think it's within all of us and it's it's I it's I, I get even like emotional thinking about it because it's so real yet n- we can't see it um let me rewind a little mm-hmm. the night before I fell off I was with my sisters at a at a my cousin's party or something and I remember getting in a fight I remember getting a, on a, in a fight with um, my littlest sister about the existence of God. And I told her that there is none and that she's fucking crazy and <laughs> da da And I made her cry. And she was hysterically crying that night. And um, we got in a huge fight about the existence of God. And I was like, you're insane, whatever. Um, then this happened the next day. Um, I woke up not believing in something. I don't even call it God, but not believing it. it was knowing. It was having felt it. It was it was it was running through me. It um, it's a certain energy. It's uh, light. It's pure light, and um, it's consciousness. Whatever you want to call it, it was running through me, and mm, that changed everything. So, do you believe in some sort of you know? powerful entity then that is in everyone everywhere all the time yes that's every it's 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 <laughs> it's why we're here it's 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 all of us it's within every single one of us and we can tap into it too because it's in nature especially when you, you can feel it when you open yourself up and it flows and you just know it because it's total peace how do you tap into it meditation are you meditating a lot every day yeah i would meditate every day i go on a lot of 10 day silent meditation retreats and that's how i know because eight days into the meditation retreat you're i'm right back there on the bottom of a cliff i'm full with light and i feel all the energy coursing through me again it's you it's you're able to tap into it and it's the most incredible feeling when was the last time you went on a a retreat um this past mm, august Okay. Mm-hmm. Where did you go? 
this place in Maryland. It's very, um, it's not very well known. Um, they have this little plot of land, and it's so beautiful. And you just sit on your mat for 10 days, about eight hours out of your day, with your eyes closed, in silence, just observing your mind. Wow. And beginning to quiet it, and that really... Mm, it definitely enhances your self-awareness. Absolutely. Did mm-hmm. you begin meditating uh, when uh, you fell, or were you meditating even beforehand? Not really. I, I would pretend I was meditating, but really I would just sit there and, you know, just, like, take in, like, the pr- like the beauty or something, you know? But um, after the cliff, I, I had all these new interests, and I was... I just felt drawn to things, um, people and things and, and places. And I began traveling and it was synchronicity. Like synchronicity is like uh, meaningful coincidences happening all the time. Just stuff that is too strange for it to be a, just a coincidence. Like what? Do you have an example of one? Um, like, well, let me think. I can tell you one that just actually just happened happen well hmm. <laughs> just running into just like you'll be th- you'll be wanting something I, I i i had this idea come to mind that i wanted to work for somebody that's quadriplegic that was really smart and could help me learn right a week later i got an email asking from a um my professor it's like hey a friend of mine He's a quadriplegic. He just graduated Harvard, really needs a personal care assistant. Will you help him out? Wow. And that was my job for a year. Wow. Yeah. So things like that happened consistently, all the time. And, 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 this, and this energy, um, this level of consciousness is just like love, you know? And um, that's what it is. And, and once you tap into that, it controls your every action or every thought um how long ago was this fall from today three years ago your life in the past three years in what aspects have like how have you navigated these past three years differently than you would have previously so previously i was very reactive um things would trigger me and bring me back to my childhood you know or you act in certain ways um, because of your past experiences, and that's kind of how a lot of us are living. You know, we live in our right now in this moment um, as a reflection of our past. Um, things trigger us. Things make us make our decisions beca- based on past decisions. But after um, the cliff, I became very present, and I wasn't living based on my past anymore. I was living solely in the now, um, based on where my heart (laughs) was telling me to go in this moment you know and that takes a lot of healing you know it wasn't just like okay I'm in the present now I had to heal my past I had to heal all my trauma I had to heal um all my distorted beliefs I had certain expectations and or my my intentions just weren't where they were supposed to be back then you know um I think now I, I look at decisions I make with much more objectivity um, and I listen to my uh, heart. <laughs> I keep <laughs> saying that, but it's 
your, our intuition that we've lost a uh, um, connection to, you know, um, we are, we're always in our thinking minds, always. And, um, you know, when you just have that gut feeling, it's to live out of that and use your thinking mind as secondary. So, okay, I'll follow this, but is this a, is this a smart decision is kind of where I'm at now rather than my thinking mind, which is so conditioned, um, to lead me in places where I don't really want to end up, you know, I, um, it, I, I wouldn't go anywhere without taking drugs, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I was so unconscious back then, I don't even know who I was in, uh, anymore, I couldn't, I can't imagine even meeting my, I, I don't remember how I used to think, pretty much, I'm a completely different person now, um, I wouldn't be friends with myself if I met me five years ago no way and um falling off a cliff also it basically puts you on your deathbed um it made you come to terms with death and in that it's we can die at any moment you know we can die tomorrow we don't know when we might get hit by that bus we don't know and to look at every day like that that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow to live like that really brings you present too. What is most important to you? What are you going to regret that you didn't try? What are you going to regret that you didn't do? What decision are you going to regret when you're on your deathbed? That you, who are you? That you, the connections with people, our families especially, we take them for granted. But if we were to die tomorrow, would we regret not speaking to them more, not showing them how much we love them more? helping others are we really going to be happy with the job that we were at was that really fulfilling you know did we really spend our lives in the right way was it after the fall that you decided like okay that's it i'm going to become a social worker um i was already um i graduated college and then i was going to peace corps and i kind of looked at it like i was going to go to the peace corps and then get my master's in social work um this kind of just changed things around a little bit and i was like all right i guess i'll get um, go to grad school now. So I went to Rutgers for two years, got my master's in social work and addiction counseling. Um, and yeah, Peace Corps, if it's meant to, ha I don't think it's meant to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. It's one of those things that I wish I was meant to happen, but I know deep down that it's not. And that's okay. I think um, my purpose is here. And, um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do is bring these ideals of they're not even ideals, they're just reconnection um, through meditation and nature and just looking inwards. You know, all of us, especially in the West, we're always looking outwards. We're always looking outside of ourselves for fulfillment. And um, the only way to ever get there is through ourselves. It's, in, it's looking inwards that we wake up and the materialism is very um, profound here and that's okay we need that um, material security but we have enough of it now it's time to evolve our consciousness <laughs> so were you recently in or did you go out to the east I like that you said uh, in the west in the western civilization yeah were you out in uh, Asia at all yeah I went to um, Thailand last year for a month by myself that was kind of one of my things, that was kind of one of those pulls, you know, that I had. Um, 
and that was the first time I did a 10-day silent meditation retreat in Thailand. It was intense. Like, Whoa. the ones here are, like, hard, of course, but, oh, my gosh. Like, I slept on um, uh, a cement slab with wow. a wooden pillow. Okay? No blankets or anything. You sleep on that. There's no running water electricity. That's okay. But um, it's, like, 100 degrees, and it's infested with mosquitoes. Damn. And... It's basically the Buddhists in Thailand are um, very much about you find peace through suffering. And it's true, you know, it's true, but that's a little like intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little much. And like, especially for us in the West, like we're not um, equipped really to like go that deep <laughs> that quick. And, um, but yeah, it is true. You know, I found my peace through all the suffering I've gone through. You know, I'm so grateful for my mom now. She taught me how to be, um, kind, you know, she taught me how to be strong and resilient, you know, I, I'm grateful for my addiction, it taught, it made me look inside, maybe look deeper and say, why am I doing this, you know, it, it made me, um, want to explore the root causes and really heal myself, I'm grateful for the fall because, you know... It gave you a different perspective on life completely. A hundred percent. It made me a different person. It was my death and rebirth. <laughs> Almost like a phoenix falling <laughs> yeah. down, burning, yeah. and then becoming the new phoenix. It's cliche, yes, but totally. And um, so, yeah, then I went to Thailand and I, I did that. Um, that was amazing. Such a growing experience. And so, yeah, Eastern philosophy is a lot different than the West. Something that I've been reading into recently is Stoic philosophy and uh, placing yourself in very uncomfortable positions. Um, it it builds growth. It builds character. It builds um, a personality, like you said, of resilience. And this uh, 10-day Buddhist monk retreat sounds like hell. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to come out of that with something. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, you know what it was? You see... Because you're just in your mind, right? Your cl eyes are closed. Is there speaking Total at all? silence. No. Well, I mean, the monks will talk to us like one, but they couldn't even speak English. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and everyone there is, um, it was really cool because these are people from all over the world. Okay. So, and you meet them, you're not speaking. No one talks. So, through these 10 days, you see how quick we are to judge people. We think that we know who they are just by looking at them and watching how they walk around and do their meditation and stuff. And when the last day of the retreat, we each got up and said a little speech. And you're like, holy shit. Like, I thought you were crazy. Like, I thought you were, like, lame as hell. And then you're like, wow. Like, these people, like, look at that. Look what I did. Like, look at how judgmental I am. And, it's, I mean, it is um, a survival instinct in humans to kind of – judge people just like for safety you know and stuff but uh, it was a little much and that was something that was a collective um wow. uh, these stories that people told how how long were they um like just like 10 minutes but you get to see who they are kind of you know and for not speaking for 10 days you, you can speak for 10 minutes no problem yeah. <laughs> oh yeah the people didn't shut up for like a, days after it was crazy do you think that being you and, and having this idea of inner light and love as the thing that drives us, do you think that there are other people who misunderstand that? 
in your uh, professional environment that are like, all right, this woman's just crazy hippie. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. I get that every day. Like, it's hard out there, man. <laughs> I get people think I'm insane. You know, they laugh me off you know they're just like oh, okay yeah the yoga lady or the meditation lady is my name <laughs> truly even the clients call me meditation lady but it's okay because it helps them and they know it um they keep coming back to my groups and they're voluntary so i know that it's helping them um but yeah no one takes me seriously um and that's okay because and that's why i'm here in new jersey that's why i want to stay here because a lot of these concepts are very um popular in on the West Coast, you know, rehabs in California and Oregon and 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 those areas, they're they're all about holistic health, healing. You know, they have meditations and um, spirituality and all of that, and that doesn't really exist here on the East Coast. But that's why I'm here. You know, I'm really trying to bring that in, and I have so much so at the place I'm at now, at Endeavor House, a detox facility. I literally. Uh, I took over this room. I found this room in the back of the, of this old hospital. Um, <laughs> it was the morgue, actually, where I and oh. I redid it. I painted the walls. I got them to order yoga mats. I I set it all up. I spent my own money on all this stuff too. And um, it's the only the clients. It keeps they keep saying how it's the, their favorite thing at the rehab. You know, it's um. It's helped them tremendously. And whenever somebody's having like a breakdown, they call me like, Erica, yoga now. You know, <laughs> it's pretty cool. And just to give them that um, time for introspection, that, that time to look in. I turn off all the lights so it's completely dark. So it's a time for them to be with themselves. No masks, you know, no needing to have all these protective barriers around us um, that are all just um, basically protecting ourselves, you know, from... Being in pain. Being in pain, yeah, being hurt. Being vulnerable exactly. in general. Exactly. The fear of pain will scare you more than actually the pain itself. Exactly. Because... Uh, what's the word for it? Um, uh, the anticipation. Mm-hmm. The anticipation of the pain prolongs the pain before it has even begun. And it's not always painful experiences that that are going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. But we think that they are. We think someone's not going to like this about mm -hmm. me or someone's not going to... Because someone didn't back when we were kids and now we just have that belief. So it's just going to keep happening over and over again, you know? Unless we go and face our fears or we go back to our childhoods and heal that from the root. Either one, they both heal you, but you got to do something because you can't keep living like that. It's torture, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's all self-inflicted. It's all self-inflicted, yeah. Do some of your, I mean, can I call them clients? Yeah, they're clients. Okay, do some of your clients uh, feel or complain that another social worker or therapist uh, is misunderstanding them? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um but I see in those cases that the therapist hasn't done enough of their own work. A therapist is only as can only go as deep with a client as they've gone within themselves. And you can see that in other therapists that aren't as self-aware and that they can't in get to um, where their client is because they have not 
done their own work in that area if that makes any sense it does make sense yeah and um but clients also obviously have their own um, prejudices against certain traits about um they don't if you're a, a i don't know some clients just don't like um guy having male clients or female clients whether know, the yeah. client itself is guy or female yeah especially uh, there's a lot of females that don't like having female um therapists really? especially because of a lot of um trauma in their youth you know of a lot of being bullied a lot of stuff with their moms you know and mm. you know you know girls and they say like i hate girls like yeah you know, but some i only want to hang out with guys <laughs> yeah. all my friends are guys yeah yeah and uh, sometimes there's total truth to that and i totally understand because i'm the same way and like and i don't and i don't have any issues with girls just that a lot of times guys are less dramatic um and I guess that's what all the girls say. Yeah, that's what they all say. Yeah. As well as it's yeah. if there's an issue that you can't have girlfriends, I know. it can't I be the that. girls. Yeah. It's got to be something with you and yourself. Yeah, no, that's true. So maybe I should stop speaking. <laughs> but uh, I think that part of that is our culture that says like, well, girls are your competition. Well, two young girls. Well, no, they're not your competition. But why do we think that? You know, why is it that girls are trying to seek attention of boys and then it grows into women seeking attention from men and only men can make them feel good about themselves? There's an issue with that. There's an issue with girls or women who can't be friends with other women because they don't make them feel like they're worth anything. Like there's something they're searching for in all of those male friends that they don't feel is in a female-to-female relationship. Um, And that's why I think it's funny that a lot of girls want that gay best friend, (laughs) that it's it's a female in a male's body, or (laughs) like that mentality of like, oh, that guy, like, oh, my God. And the girl's like, I know, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but that's like it all stems from um, self-esteem, you know, lack of self-love, because then you're always going to be seeking outside of yourself to get that, love or that attention or that what you can't provide yourself you know and um an easy way for girls to do it is through guys you know with girls it's girls to do that with other girls it's a little bit more difficult because you have to um i don't know with guys you know just attraction there is that where you they'll just be attracted to you so so you get that fulfillment and um i'm worth something i'm attracted he thinks i'm attractive is there uh, something that you have for the future planned out? What's the next step for you? Um, I want to keep helping. Um, I want to keep healing, at least, in the same way that I've been able to heal myself. I want to be able to give that gift. Um, I think with adolescents, I would really love to work with, especially because, you know, they haven't, had years and years of conditioning yet there's still some some time um some space there to really help and help them heal and see things more clearly so i hope to work with adolescents and um, open private practice in a couple years and that'll be cool so yeah i really helping people with um mental health and addictions and 
If there's someone listening that wants to reach out to you for help, how would they be able to get in contact with you? Um, definitely by email, anytime. Um, my email is E-R-I-C-A-T-A-I-T-52 at gmail.com. ericatate 52 at gmail.com. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, sharing your story with me, uh, sharing it with the audience. And for anyone seeking some sort of... Um, counseling on how to heal your inner child please do reach out to erica and thank you for joining me today thank you so much it's been awesome well guys thanks for joining us for another episode on the disconnection podcast where we aim to inform inspire and close the disconnections in your life we'd like to thank our guests for joining us today and delivering a unique perspective on a range of topics Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes and YouTube. My name is Kyle, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Disconnection.